Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey everybody, what's going on? Keith Niebuhr with Auburn Undercover and this is the Auburn Undercover podcast and I'm joined by one of my good friends and colleagues at 24-7 Sports on Auburn Undercover, really the guy who made Auburn Undercover what it is today and that's Philip Marshall. Uh, well, Philip, I'm going to give you some credit. Nobody else will, but I will. And um, uh, I, look, I don't exaggerate when I, when I heap praise upon Philip. He's been such a, a mentor to me, uh, you know, being the young guy in my late 40s that I am. Uh, but, uh, but, well, Philip, it's game week, and finally, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe it's finally here, and uh, I know you're eager. This is how many seasons of college football for you now as a sports reporter? Well, the first, you know, let's see, because really the first year I actually covered it in college football was 1971, so first two years. Well, the first year I didn't start until October, and I covered one. I covered the Auburn-Florida game when Pat Sullivan and John Reed were sophomores, and Auburn intercepted nine passes. That was the first college. That's the first college game I ever covered. That was 1969. I think you picked a pretty good one. And uh, then I, I don't. I was covering high schools the next year for the Birmingham Post Herald. I don't think I covered a college game. I went to some, but I don't think I covered one. And then in 1971, I started covering college football pretty frequently. And uh, so that's what, about 50 years. Well, you know, Philip, we're going to talk exclusively about Auburn, except for this next minute. And I, and I, I didn't prep you for this at all. And I, I want to apologize, but it just struck me that during your kind of formative years as a kid, Gail Sayers uh, was in his heyday in the NFL and we lost the great Gail Sayers at the age of 77 this week. Um, you know, people of my generation know him, uh, from Brian's song, more than anything else, uh, the great movie that depicted him and uh, the lives, the lives of him and his former teammate Brian Piccolo, who was from Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I just wanted to get your general thoughts on what, what you recall about Gail Sayers as a player. Not, not a whole lot. Uh, I just remember he was, you know, uh, an electric running back, uh, uh, and was a highly thought of individual. Uh, but really, other than that's, that's really most all of it. I, I didn't, uh, you know, at that time there weren't NFL games on TV wall to wall every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I do recall great player. All right, Philip. A lot to talk about here. Again, it's opening week for the Auburn Tigers, and, and you were on the SEC conference call this week, and uh, you got a lot of great info from there. One of the interesting notes was Chad Morris, Auburn's offensive coordinator. He's going to be on the sideline this year. That's where he's going to call plays from. I mean, every coach is a little different. Some like to be in the box. Some like to be on the field. Uh, just what were your thoughts on that, and, and what did Gus Malzahn have to say about that? Uh, that's just all he said. I, you know, he said what I quoted him to say. Yeah, it. okay. Uh, that's what, that's what uh, uh, Chad likes to do. Uh, uh, you know, Gus uh, wanted Kevin Steele to move to the sideline and, and convinced him to do it. Uh, Interesting. I guess that was I think last year was the first year. And interestingly enough, uh, Kevin wasn't real thrilled about it. 
but then he liked it. Hmm. Well, and, you, uh, I think it's fine as long as you got somebody you trust up high. Now, do we know? Do we know at this stage who will be up high no, for Auburn? He was asked. Gus was asked that day, and he said, "Yeah, they. I, I know, but uh, we're going to have a meeting about that. I don't remember if he said tonight or tomorrow. And he didn't. He never did say who. Uh, so I don't know. What would you think would be? And again, I. You know, we haven't really discussed this too much, but it seems to me like the one benefit of this would be that those two can kind of collaborate. I mean, obviously they're saying it's it's Chad's offense. I get that, but the head coach likes to know what's going on, right? I mean, yeah, but you, know. you can find that out through the headset. Well, I I understand that, but but in terms of, uh, um, I, don't, I I think it's more about about being there with a the quarterback and those things. I, I got listen, you. I know people people don't want to believe it. But, but Gus can't run Chad Morris's offense. It's, a, it's, it's, it's similar, but the terminology is different. It's all different. Gus can't just take it over unless he's going to, unless he's then going to go, go back and reinstall his offense and change all the terminology. Uh, I, you know, I was, I, I was as cautious as anybody, but I don't think there's any doubt at this point that, that the offense is Chad Morris's show. What were some of your other some of your other impressions from being on the SEC conference call, Philip? And, and I should point out that's with all the league's coaches, and you were on it quite a while. I heard. Um, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me say this much more about about. Oh sure, sure. Chad. Every head coach has the ability and and does say, "Hey, we need to run the ball more. We need to throw it more. Uh, we need to run the clock. Uh, we need to keep attacking." I mean, those, those are head coach decisions. And uh, so Gus will make those. And whether, whether you go for it, you don't go for it, uh, all those kinds of things. But I pretty, pretty feel pretty certain at this point that, that like I said, it's Chad Morris' show. Now about the SEC teleconference, um, well, first, everybody's good. Everybody's excited. Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody wants to thank their administrators and their medical people, and that's – and that's good uh, for, for helping them get to this point. Everybody's frustrated about players who have missed practice. Uh, nobody gave any specifics about, certainly about who or how many or any of those things. Uh, but Will Muschamp said he said 14 days, which is the quarantine time right now for someone who's caught in contact tracing. Uh, he said 14 days is an eternity in preseason camp. And he's right. It is. And, uh, uh, you know, Nick Saban talked about having to, uh, that, it, that it disrupted continuity because, because you, you know, you have short this many players one week and then the next and whatever. And you end up with guys that aren't, that aren't as, uh, knowledgeable or as experienced or, or, or maybe as talented in positions. So it disrupts your continuity. Uh, you know, I, I found it interesting that uh, Sam Pittman talked about the difficulty as a first-year coach in getting close to players via Zoom. And he said, and that also applies to recruiting. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, can, I can see that. And uh, 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 Eli Drinkwitz was already talking about it. <laughs> We'll be back on the field Sunday trying to get better. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> he seems like he, Philip. He seems like he's going to be one of the more entertaining guys in the yeah, league. Is that, I, I, okay, Eli's a good guy. I, I knew him when he was a a uh, quality control guy at Auburn. He, he's a, he's a good guy. He really is. And uh, and people who work with him say he's incredibly smart. And uh, so that should be interesting. Mike Mike Leach. Uh, you know <laughs> the way they do it. They. Uh, they say, well, Coach, first uh, give us your thoughts on your upcoming game with whoever, and then we'll open it up to questions. And he said, I don't want to do that. Just go ahead and open it up for questions. <laughs> and uh, But he he told the story about when Kentucky played at LSU in, um, I think it was 1989, and he was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky at the time with Hal Mummy. And, uh, and L- Kentucky won 39 to 36. And he, and he was talking about going in on the bus and grandmothers flipping them off and people rocking the bus. And his response to all that, he said, it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, he said, I went by, I went by the uh, tiger, went by to see the tiger, Mike, the tiger, you know? Yeah. Uh, he said, I went by to see the tiger. And uh, he said, but I made some, I'm sure somebody else was closer to it than I was. So, so, so if he escaped, they would eat him and not me. And <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's funny, Philip. I've never really been a huge Leech fan. Sometimes I think these guys, I up, well, sometimes I think these guys end up being caricatures of himself. But when you told that story, you know, it kind of made me appreciate him a little bit more, a lot more, actually, because you always wonder if these guys live in the moment beyond the, beyond the game itself, well, beyond I, what happens. I, I think you know? he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, uh, I just uh, I, I agree with you. Sometimes it's like a caricature, but I, you know it's, it's going to be. You know, he's always been at kind of outpost places, and uh, uh, he doesn't have many plays and what they do. And it's going to be. He's never he's never dealt with the kind of the kind of cornerbacks week after week after week, and the kind of edge rushers week after week after week that he's going to have to deal with over the next 11 weeks. So uh, that's going to be one of the more in- interesting uh, in- interesting stories to watch. Yeah, I kind of think I, – I could be wrong here. I, I kind of equate it to the pitcher that maybe gets through the starting lineup one time and then people start seeing the pitches and seeing the angle, the slot angle, and the timing and all that stuff. So I wonder if it's going to be something like that. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, look, Mississippi State's got – some good athletes in that program. And they obviously brought in a quarterback that can throw the ball. So we'll see. Uh, but can you sustain it? Can you recruit at a high enough level? I mean, the one, one thing about the, um, uh, about Dan Mullen was he, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't win. I mean, they didn't finish in the top part of the conference, but he kept them relevant and same with Jackie Sherrill uh, to another extent, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Philip. I'm not, uh, and I give him credit for what he's done at Florida. I, I thought that Dan Muller got too much credit. Oh, I know. I've seen you write that before. <laughs> hey, I read everything you write. Jackie Sherrill, Jackie Sherrill got him to the SEC championship. That's game. right. That's right. Uh, uh, Dan went had a, had a winning SEC record one time at Mississippi State. You know, I got to say, I, yeah, and then they were, you know, they were obviously really, really good when John Bond was the quarterback there. But I've always had fun going over there. I, I love the atmosphere for a big game there. It's it's fun. Oh, it's a, look, yeah. it's a, everybody in the SEC has got athletes. Everybody. Now, here's what Jackie Sherrill did. He went just wholesale after into the Mississippi Junior Colleges. And, uh, and 
that paid off for a while, but eventually that catches up with you if you do that. Yeah. And, uh, and it did. And uh, plus, Jackie was not real fond of rules. Everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look, uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, Philip, quick, quick question. You know, people think they're expecting so much of this Lane Kiffin-Mike Leach rivalry, and these guys are supposedly so outspoken and so different and so unique. Well, I, I just don't buy it. I just – I. I don't think they're that unique, to be honest with you. But what were your impressions of those two guys during the conference call? They were they any more entertaining than anybody else? Pippen was was pretty bland, real bland. Yeah, right? yeah. I've always thought that. Yeah. He didn't he didn't have much of interest to say at all, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah by the way, not knocking his coaching. Lee's told that story uh, yeah. that I was telling you, and he had a couple other one liners that evade me right now, but. You know, that's what he does. That's who he is, uh, uh, which has really nothing to do with winning football. Did, did, did anyone put you to sleep? I, I call that the, the Danny Ford uh, he, he, when he was back at Arkansas in the early 90s. I, I think I nodded off a couple times when he was talking. And uh, Anybody put you to sleep? Anybody? Danny Ford yeah. story just a minute. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. uh, probably Kiffin. Really? Wow. Uh, who was the most – Engage the most energetic. Uh, Eli, maybe. No, I think Eli knows he's about to get his brain beat out. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe. Uh, mm, not Jimbo. Jimbo. There weren't about four questions for Jimbo when he was gone. Uh, probably, I would say. Uh, uh, maybe the old guy, Sam Pittman. Yeah. Not old me, but, uh, mm. but he's a very optimistic, uh, optimistic guy. Maybe him. But, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he, he does, he does seem that way. And I think he's, I think he's sort of living the dream a little bit, Philip. I think if you would have asked him a year ago, do, do you think you'll ever be an SEC head oh, yeah. coach? I don't, no, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, in the first place, you don't expect a coaching change at Arkansas after two years. Correct. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I would say probably him. Uh, none of them are all that energetic, to be honest with you. They're probably more energetic <laughs> than last week. They're worn out, I think. They're ready to go. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, um, you know, Augustus, other than, other than uh, uh, Chad was going to be on the sideline, Gus didn't say anything that he hasn't said, already said. Well, speak, speaking of Auburn and Kentucky, Philip, you had a story uh, about Joey Gatewood, Auburn's former quarterback who's now at Kentucky. He was on the Auburn team last year, left the team during the season, transferred to Kentucky, still waiting, uh, still waiting to be cleared by the SEC in time for Saturday's season opener. What's the latest there? Do you think he's gonna? You think he's gonna get that clearance to play this week? I did, and I don't. Uh, he, uh, you know, Mark Stoops came on and said that uh, he was optimistic and confident that he felt good about about the, the – because it's an SEC thing. It's not an NCAA thing. The NCAA is already, already cleared it. That's the same thing that's going on with the offensive lineman transferred from Georgia to Tennessee and the defensive back that transferred from Georgia to Ole Miss. Because the SEC has a rule that, uh, that you have to uh, sit out a year if you transfer within the league. And, you know, after Mark said that, I put up a quick story that said he, 
he's, he's, he feels confident about it. And then after Psyche came on, I had to kind of rewrite it because Psyche, he, he said he would not comment on, on current waiver requests, but everything else he said said no. <laughs> he said, he said, everybody wants to go out to waivers. Why don't they change the rule if they want to change the rule? He said, the rule yeah. still there. And uh, my distinct impression was, and, and uh, you know, I'll say this with the caveat that I certainly could be wrong because he did not spe- specifically say it, but I did, he didn't sound like he had much sympathy. Uh, yeah. Well, well, Philip, let me ask you this. So, hypothetically speaking, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. You, you see both sides of this, I'm sure, as I do. Uh, you're a head coach in the SEC, and one of your guys transfers, and he, he transfers to the school. You're going to play in week one at a key position. I, we don't know where he sits on the depth chart, but uh, would you be in favor of allowing that guy to play for that other team? Well, not a bad option, no. Uh, but my understanding is that Auburn – had, you know, Georgia, Georgia denied uh, the release to uh, Otis Reese. Yeah, to Otis okay. Reese. Uh, and I believe the guy at Tennessee too. I believe, but uh, Auburn, I'm told, did not deny Joy Gatewood. But you know, Sankey didn't sound like he had any sympathy for any of them. Yeah, like I said, now, he may come back two days from now and say they're they're good to go, but he sure didn't sound that way today. Hmm, interesting. All right. We got to pay some bills, Philip. So we're going to go to a commercial break real quick here. We'll be back in just a minute to talk more about the Auburn Tigers as they prepare for Saturday's big season opener against Kentucky. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back. Okay, Philip. The depth chart was released this week, and and there were some interesting, uh, you know, some interesting developments. Um, one of them you really foreshadowed, not foreshadowed. You you hinted at. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but you basically told everybody, hey, keep an eye on Jalen Simpson for that cornerback spot, uh, starting cornerback spot opposite Roger McCreary. And sure enough, he was listed with the first team this week. Uh, and another one though was defensive lineman Colby Wooden, who's listed as a first team defensive tackle, came to Auburn as about 235 to 240 pounds, was really thought to be a buck. Uh, at that time. And now he's a defensive tackle listed at 268. We believe he's actually over 280 though. Uh, and Philip, go ahead, Philip. I'm sorry. It's about 285. Yeah. Uh, well, you had a story from KJ Britt, Auburn's all SEC linebacker that said, Hey man, this wasn't a surprise to us. This, uh, these guys can play. They're special. So what can you tell us about Colby Wooden and Jalen Simpson? I've been hearing about Colby Wooden all the camp. Uh, uh, and, People I talk to are, are not concerned about th- that he's not big enough. Uh, and he's very athletic and very quick. They're really, really excited about him. And also, Jalen Simpson. Um, he's, uh, what I'm told, very fast, very competitive. And, uh, uh, and so I, I was not 
KJ Britt said said nobody nobody that saw him was surprised by either one of those people being a starter, and I wasn't. I I, I don't know that I was expecting Kobe Wooden to be a starter. I was expecting him to be a, a very significant contributor, but uh, uh, and he can still play outside or inside, by the way. But uh, uh, I would have been from what I had heard in the past week. I would have been surprised if it had been anybody other than Jalen Simpson at that cornerback. Philip, let me ask you this. I mean, Jaquan Newkirk was a guy that, you know, he's going to play a lot, a defensive tackle for Auburn, but most people thought that he would be the starting tackle opposite uh, Tyrone Truesdale. And right now he's listed as a second teamer behind. And he, and he could end up being the starter. I mean, who knows? I mean, right, he, it, it, they're going to probably – he's going to play a lot. But my point is – well, go ahead. Going into something I shouldn't say, I'll just put it this way. I'll just say this. Two weeks is, a, is as, as Will Muschamp said, two weeks is an eternity in preseason camp. Well, and, and my question to you was going to be, well, will be, I guess, is that, you know, when you look at that defensive tackle spot, if Daquan Newkirk is listed as your second teamer at that position, you, you must, yeah, you're pretty good. So look at a defensive tackle, these two positions that we just talked about with Kobe Wood and Jalen Simpson. Defensive tackle and cornerback, you know, maybe six months ago, maybe you're not, but I'm sitting here thinking, boy, I'm, I'm really wondering who these starters are going to be, who these backups are going to be. Depth chart gets released. I look at all the defensive tackles, and I look at all the cornerbacks, and I say to myself, boy, they got a lot more guys there than I realized. And all of a sudden, to me, those look like two positions that might be strengths of the team. Am I, am I totally off base thinking that? Hmm. Uh. Corner, I think the whole secondary is going to be a strength. Uh, okay. I thought that from the start. Yeah, you've mentioned uh, that. Yep. Uh, uh, the two safeties are both uh, uh, extremely, extremely talented. Um, I think that uh, you still have to be a little concerned when you're starting 13, you've got 13 new starters. Even though at some of those positions, the guys that are playing were considered the same as starters last season. Um, but, you know, you take a guy, let's say Kobe Wooden, who has obviously had a tremendous camp. He's still never been there. I mean, he played he played a, he played a handful of snaps last season, but not much, obviously, because he was redshirt. Uh, but uh, uh, and he's going to be playing against a very, very – talented and and very experienced offensive line so uh uh a lot of times and i think a lot of people don't understand that somebody breaks off an 80 yard run they say well their offensive line just destroyed the defensive line more often than is that on big plays like that is somebody didn't fill the right gap or it's usually more big plays happen because of mistakes on defense than, than by superior execution on offense, uh, especially in the running game. Uh, uh, so I, that, I'm sure that's a concern. You know, one thing I remember, and of course this guy was a senior, but midway through the 2013 season, Auburn moved Nosa Igwe from, uh, from defensive end to defensive tackle, and he weighed about 260 pounds. And he was too quick for all of them. And they got the, – the moment they moved him, they got better defensively. And he was certainly not big. But 
Because assuming everybody's telling me the truth, I think Kobe would be plenty big enough. And uh, uh, it's amazing how things have changed. You know, Tracy Rocker weighed about 260 pounds when he won every defensive award at Auburn in 1988, national award. Defensive tackle, he weighed about 260. Times have changed. <laughs> you know, when I was in college, if a guy was 250 pounds, I thought they were the biggest guy on the planet. Now 250 doesn't sound too big as you get older and a little wider in the stomach yeah, as I have, I tell you. Yeah. You know, I, I did a story. Well, heck, it's been a long time ago now, 20 years ago probably. But anyway, I was doing a story about, at that time, the change. And one of the things I discovered in research of that story was that the 1979 Alabama National Championship team, their biggest starting offensive lineman was, was the center, Terry Jones, and he weighed 249 pounds. Wow. wow. That was the biggest one. Well, that, we got it, it's, it's a different game. Good, good transition there, offensive line. I'm going to talk a little offensive tackle here. Uh, earlier in the week, I spoke with Jason Caldwell and Mark Murphy about Brodarius Ham and, and some of the other guys on the offensive line, but Austin Troxel penciled in as the as the uh, first team or at left tackle. Another great story, Philip. Two torn ACLs in high school. Another one in college already. And and also though he beat out Alec Jackson, who uh, gave him a heck of a run. And 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 that's well well I'm sorry. Listed as a first stringer. The depth chart said or. Oh, it did. Oh, uh, my mistake. And, and Alec, it said Alec Jackson or. Oh, I, I missed that, Philip. I could have sworn it was Tro. Okay, so you've written about Alec. Well, this really doesn't change my point here. Auburn having two guys battling, you'd love for one of them to take control of the position. But on the other hand, uh, on an offensive line that only returns one starter, more guys capable of starting, the better, right? Well, sure, it's always better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and I don't know, you know, I look for Alec Jackson to start Saturday. And nobody has announced that or anything like that, and I could be wrong. But that's what I look for, uh, just from what I've heard. I, I think that and, – and Austin Troxel is, is a great story. There's no question about it. But uh, Alec Jackson is a – you know, came here as a defensive lineman. And uh, if you can get a guy to make that transition a lot of times, then you get Ben Grubbs, who was a first-round draft choice. Or you get uh, uh, Tyrone Green, who was a second-round draft choice. Uh, because then you a guy that's a athletic enough defensive lineman becomes a very athletic offensive lineman. And, uh, but we'll see about that. And, but, but, you know, uh, Jack Bignell has, has shown a willingness in the past to, to play more, more than one offensive line. Having said that, you know, Gus said at his press conference that they'd had a lot of offensive linemen out and had trouble, had had problems getting any continuity. I feel certain that the last two days, the two big practice days of the week, that they've had the, – there's no either wars. They know who's going to start. Okay. Uh, and that's how – but I, I don't know that, but I'm just saying the, the offensive line has to do – it's kind of like, you know, we were talking about things that happen on the defense to give up big plays. Well, on offense, it's not necessarily getting physically beaten either. It's one guy one guy takes the wrong step, and it blows up the whole play. And uh, uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch. I, I have said from the start, I said it before, before, before spring practice was supposed to start, 
I don't think talent is an issue on this Auburn offensive line. Playing together is an issue, and uh, and that's what they've got to overcome, and that's hard to do. Uh, in the first game, you got you've got either either Alec Jackson or Austin uh, Austin who has played but didn't play last year. Then you got Tayshawn Manning who really hasn't played much, just as a backup and and mop up duty. Then you got uh, uh, Nick Brahms who was who who was the starter at the end of last year and the starter of the first half of the previous year. So he's got experience. And uh, the uh, council, Brandon Council, the graduate transfer, who has also been one of the highlights of, 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 of the uh, of camp, he hasn't, he hasn't got experience playing against SEC defenses, but he's an experienced guy and apparently a very tough, tough guy. And putting it bluntly, uh, I don't know a, a delicate way to put it, one person who is saying finally on Brodarius Ham is J.B. Grimes. Uh, if it had been up to him, Brodarius Ham would not be a first-year starter. Mm. Interesting. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, and he is just overpoweringly strong. Uh, so I, I think all those guys can play. The one I don't, I, you know, Tayshawn Manning is another converted defensive lineman uh, who. JB also told me that he said he has NFL talent. So if the light comes on, he has NFL talent. Hmm. And, uh, uh, so I, I think they have talent, but you know, you got, I think Kentucky's got four, four offensive linemen back, including one first team preseason, all SEC guy, one second team preseason, all SEC guy. That's what, you know, they've all been, they've been playing together all these years. So that's what Auburn doesn't have. And, 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 you know, Gus keeps saying he thinks they'll get better over the course of the season. And I agree. I'm sure they will if they stay healthy. But, uh, but will they be better enough to, uh, for Auburn to move the ball consistently against a pretty good defense in Kentucky? I don't think a great defense, but a pretty good defense. Uh, that's the question. Philip, uh, he's a walk-on, but he's a different kind of walk-on. This is Kalen, uh, yeah. Kalen Newton. Uh, Cam Newton's younger brother played at Atlanta Grady High School, uh, then was quarterback for a couple of years at Howard University, prestigious college in Washington, D.C. And uh, now he's a, a, an athlete receiver at Auburn. What, what are the early – what's the early word on him, um, you know? Well, they've been raving about him, especially other, other players particularly. Hmm. I've been raving about him since the start of practice about uh, how tough he is and uh, how physical he is and and how hard he works and uh, how talented he is. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to get, how much time he's going to get at wide receiver, but I think he will be a uh, he'll be a special teams uh, leader. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, Hey, he may get lots of time to receiver. I don't know, but but uh, you know you can't play those top four guys, Eli and, and Schwartz and uh, um, uh, <laughs> Seth and uh, and Jackson. Uh, you can't play them every snap. Other people got to play too. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, it, it's kind of curious to me. Why he how he ended up at Harvard, and he said I read a story about him uh, 
right after he came here, just, or actually it was at the start of preseason camp and I started hearing about him. And he was a walk on at Howard, he said. Uh, so that's just kind of curious to me. He seems from what, I haven't seen him. So, so I'm just basing this purely on what his teammates say. Well, I, I happened to uh, I happened to cover him. The athlete, and I know you covered him. Yeah. Why didn't he? Why didn't? Why, why did he go to Howard? And well, I'm gonna t- I, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> I don't know why specifically ended up at Howard, but first of all, it's a great HB. Yeah, you know, historically, but no, no, no. I mean, I mean, in terms of academic. Well, I mean, in terms of academics. I mean, he was he's a high academic kid. That should be first and foremost what people need to know about. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, I got to, I covered him a lot in high school because one of his teammates was an Auburn commit at the time who signed with Auburn Marlin character, uh, a safety. So I was at a few of their games and, and the school's not far from where I live here in Atlanta. Um, but you know, his dad, uh, Cecil Newton, who Auburn fans know, Hey, he turned to me one time and he said, man, if my son wasn't, if my son wasn't bow-legged, he wouldn't be 5'11", he'd be 6'2", and he'd have every college in the country after him. And you know, he was kind of joking. Kalen's got a different kind of body than Cam, obviously. You know, but he was a good athlete. Yeah. He was. And, in fact, in seven-on-seven, seven, he played quarterback and receiver. He, he could do a little bit of everything. He was really smart out there. But at the end of the day, he's 5'11". You know, he's five. You know, he wasn't the what the 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 size quarterback. Now, granted, Auburn's get a got a five eleven quarterback and on the commit list right now. But just a few years ago, that really wasn't something a lot of schools were looking for. And then Kyler Murray came along, and all of a sudden, those guys are back in vogue again. But um, you know, I don't know specifically how he ended up at Howard, but I I didn't realize he was a walk on. I remember he made a big announcement that he was going there. But look, that's he was good. He, that's, yeah. what, that's what he said in that story. That's what he yeah. was yeah, he was a good player up there. Obviously, they beat UNLV in his first year. Uh, at yeah. the time, they were the largest underdog in Vegas to ever win a game in, in college. Yeah. I mean, something ridiculous. Uh, Philip, one more guy I want to talk about, and let's see if I can get the depth chart right. Let's, my reading skills have really come into question today. Uh, Sean Shivers on the depth chart. Help me out here. Right, number one. There we go. Oh, thank God. Okay, I got that one right. Why is he so let, – let me ask you this. And, and why do you think – another fantastic young guy, by the way. Why do you think, uh, in, your, in your opinion, what makes him suited for this offense to be a first stringer? Well, I think he would have been a first stringer regardless. Uh, he is a really good runner. And, you know, sometimes I think people don't realize, you say, well, he's 5'7". Well, he's 5'7 and about 190 pounds. 190 pounds on 5'7 is pretty is a pretty pretty uh pretty pretty muscular guy and uh and he is just extraordinarily fast he does everything well pass protection and uh all those things and uh i you know i again i started hearing about him right off uh and i think you know it's just one play but I think the run against Alabama, uh, I think that had a big impact on him, on how his teammates view him, and maybe even how his coaches view him. Uh, because that really uh, – it's too bad that wasn't an iron bowl that meant a little bit more for Auburn as in that Auburn was playing to go to play for a championship. Because that, it already is, but it would really be – one of the more iconic plays in Auburn history because that was remarkable, to be honest with you. I mean, for him just to – I mean, it's not like that's that's some stiff back there he ran over. It's an all-SEC safety. And knock his helmet up into the air. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah. 
You know, Philip, I was looking through some old photos the other day, and I, I came across this picture from the, oh gosh, Auburn spring game. The spring before Sean Shivers enrolled at Auburn, and he was there with a bunch of the other Auburn signees, about a dozen of them. And, and he was the guy they were all huddled around. He was kind of the leader of the pack at his school down in South Florida. He was the alpha dog of the, of the state championship program. Smallest guy on the team, biggest leader on the team. He's an alpha male. He, he really isn't. He, and yeah. He was the team captain on this team. Yeah, people look at him and they just see this little guy uh, in in height. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's sometimes amazing. Keith, sometimes Keith, and I would say the best example in Auburn history of this is Lionel James. Sometimes, sometimes guys, they just have it, and they may not have this or may not have that, but they just have it. Yeah. And uh, you know, when Lionel James left. But the late Bud Casey told me this, who was the running bass coach. They went and signed Duvel Bibbins, who physically looked a whole lot like Lionel. Well, he ended up being a defensive back. And Bud, Bud Casey, and that's not knocking him, he ended up being a defensive back that played a lot and got dragged out of, got dragged out of bounds by Greg Richardson before Van Tiffin's field goal. Uh, but uh, uh, he said, we keep trying another, trying to find another Lionel James. And he said, and we're wasting our time. There ain't but one. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there are guys just like Russell Wilson. Doesn't make sense for Russell Wilson to be played in the NFL like what, five, nine. And, uh, and he may be the best player in the league. Uh, that was quite a show of night, Sunday night, by the way, between him and Cam. But uh, uh, but some guys just have it, and what he does have is world class speed. And I think, assuming they do the things they've talked about, if they throw him the ball, if they get him the ball in space uh, a number of times every game, then he is frequently going to to, to break one. And if he breaks one, he's he's not as fast as Anthony Schwartz, but. Uh, he, he wouldn't be more than about a step behind. Hmm. All right. Well, listen, Philip, you uh, you corrected my mistake. She gave us some great insight. We got some historical perspective. You corrected some more of my mistakes. And uh, But, no, it's always great to have you on the show. We appreciate you stopping by. That's Philip Marshall with 24-7 Sports and Auburn Undercover. Make sure you go to auburnundercover.com to check out all of Philip's work. Uh, Fridays is for your eyes only an inside look at Auburn athletics, really the premier insider piece in the entire market, maybe the entire SEC. Uh, and also for this podcast, for more of this podcast, more episodes, go to Apple iTunes and make sure you give us a rating and uh, don't hold it against Philip that I stumble a lot. But uh, Check that out. Help us out a little bit. And we appreciate everybody stopping by. For Philip Marshall, this is Keith Niebuhr. We'll do it again soon. Take care, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 